Welcome to He's Dead Jim, the podcast where we travel back through Star Trek, the original series, one episode at a time. I'm Mick McConnell, and please welcome my wonderful pal, Emily Lind. Hello. Good evening, Emily. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm doing very good. We watched the cool app this week. We watched Miri. Yeah. Which is sort of, it's kind of a Lord of the Flies episode, isn't it? It's terrifying. Yeah, there is a little bit of that in there. It definitely, this is another one that had sort of a, like a... Twilight Zone, Outer Limits, Night Gallery kind of vibe to it. Yeah. So we've got some terrifying out-of-control kids. Yeah. So do you want to... Should I jump into it? We should, I guess so. Any other Star Trek news this week? Not that I know of. My life has been consumed by Star Wars drama, so... Yes. <laughs> what a fun time to be a Star Wars fan. Oh, boy. But let's talk about Star Trek, because it's much happier. Yeah, yep. Uh, like, you, like you said, we watched uh, Miri. This is episode 8, or episode 9, if you're watching on Netflix, since they have the original pilot as episode 1. The original air date is October 27th, 1966. Uh, this was written by Adrian Spires. I think it's the only episode that he wrote. Um, but the director, Vincent McAvetti, I did like a handful of other episodes after this one. And the star date is 2713.5. We still don't know if that means anything because I think we're just reading them every week and not actually like paying any attention or looking back at them. So eventually we might realize something in terms of the order of the chronology of the show. We seem to be hanging around the 27s for these few episodes, so maybe we're sort of getting them in order. Hit us up if you're a Stardate expert. Yeah, I wonder if, like, 27 is the year? You know, it's so funny because we could so easily Google this and we steadfastly refuse to. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we, we start out as we often do. The Enterprise is responding to a distress signal. This one is hundreds of light years from Earth, but it is an Earth-style distress signal, whatever that means. And as we approach the planet, Spock starts reading out the specs in terms of like mass and size and everything. And apparently everybody on the bridge immediately recognizes that these are the exact description that you would have if you were if you were talking about the specifications of earth so yeah they're good on there um what <laughs> i'm not even sure what branch of science climate science atmospheric science uh, yeah maybe planetary i taste them well geology? at the academy yes <laughs> <laughs> and then we we see it on the on the view screen and it looks exactly like earth as well and i don't we don't get that explained at all in this do we ever go back to that no okay because i was gonna say by the time the episode ends i'd completely forgotten that that's where we started yeah and like the continent you they they look at the planet from above and you see the continents are exactly the same as earth continents so it's basically seems to be a replica of earth yeah they never they just drop that that yeah they forgot about got bored and forgot about that that needs which is even yeah which is even weirder because we, so we get this away team, which is Kirk, Spock, Bones, um, Rand, and two 
random security officers. This time it's Fields and Galloway. But they beam down and it is 1960s Earth. Well, I mean, it's 1960s America, but they just say 1960s Earth. Or or Spock does anyway. Um, Kirk, like, sort of is much more vague in his evaluation, but Spock immediately is like, no, it's 1960s. Yeah, and it, I, I guess, yeah, so it's meant to look familiar, I guess, to the audience. Looking at it now and as an Australian from uh, the next millennium <laughs> it looks like yeah it just looks like a hollywood set to me even maybe sort of a almost a western ghost towny sort of feel except it's a city and yeah so it has these sort things. of like, yeah like the cars are definitely like 60s looking but everything's really run down and there's like junk sitting in the streets is that a do you reckon it's a hollywood lot or did they just go to an abandoned suburb i'm i'm sure it's a lot there's a lot of think about. Imagine that's your job is to go to a lot of effort to make everything look trashed and messed up. Like as they walk into buildings here, they're just completely full of junk. It'd be, it'd be a cool job as a set dresser. Yeah, Basically, something just a little trash the joint, get out a sledgehammer, smash a few walls. Yeah, I think that would be fun. Like they find, like Kirk finds this old tricycle and. While the rest of the group moves on, Bones is examining it, and he is suddenly attacked by this guy, and he's just saying "mine, mine" over and over again, and his 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 face is all disfigured or, or mutated or something, and and they pull him off of Bones, but he definitely seems childlike because he immediately starts crying over this bike. And he's he's just begging them to fix it. And he looks a bit like a mutant or something. He's got sort of purplish, mutated-looking skin. Uh, and I love how Kirk just immediately just rushes in and punches him a few times. Yeah, he does. Just like right <laughs> in the face. <laughs> Back to the rescue. Yeah. So so Bowen's like reassures him. Okay, okay, we'll fix the bike. And then he starts to have a, a seizure and. When Kirk says that they want to help him, the guy the guy calls him a liar, and then then he dies. And and Bones, Bones keeps referring to this guy as it, which I <laughs> I thought was, I mean, kind of hilarious and kind of horrible. Yeah, I mean, well, first, I I mean first of all, because it's it's obviously a dude. Yeah, but I, I guess. Yeah, it's all happened pretty quickly, I guess. McCoy's just been sort of attacked. <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, he, I, he he says it's like this guy has aged centuries in just a few minutes. Yeah, and we get we get it's dead. This one we don't get a he's dead, Jim. We haven't had a he's dead in a while, so we get it's dead. Yeah, and so they start to hear like noises for some of the building, and they go to investigate, and eventually they find this young girl who's who's hiding in the closet and uh, absolutely terrified that they're gonna hurt her and um yeoman rand tries to comfort her and she talks about she says i remember the things you grups did yeah (laughs) this stuff this is something you see a lot in um I guess not just in bad sci-fi you see it in some good sci-fi too but it is sort of this this slang 
that you get tossed around that always seems slightly ridiculous. I don't think, I don't, I don't know. It's very, I think it's maybe very hard to like make up fake slang. Yeah. But this one, I don't know. This episode is, it's pretty, it's pretty silly. Yeah. Yeah. So they've got their own slang or language or whatever. And adults are grups and kids are onlys. Yeah. And there, there's some other, like, she thinks that they're playing some sort of, like, trick on her. I forget what word they use to talk about sort of, like, games or tricks or pranks or some other one they use there. Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember either. A foolie or something like that. Yeah, foolie. You're playing a foolie. So they've got some hip slang. Yeah, so they, she thinks that they're, I mean, some sort of, like, really, I guess, sadistic prank. But uh, eventually she sort of, she calms down and, and, you know, Kirk is being suave and handsome and, you know, calls her a pretty young woman and all this stuff. And she, she starts to warm up to him pretty quickly. But in the meantime, while they're talking, oh, they find out that, that her name is Miri. So that's where our title come from. And he, he tells her to call him Jim. I've seen, like, I really, I thought they handled that pretty well. Like, at first I thought, oh, this is going to get really creepy. Yeah. But they they managed, for the most part, to keep it as a kid with a crush on this older guy who's, you know, just trying to try. Because, like, what do you do in that situation if you are Kirk? Yeah. You know, he's, yeah. So they don't they don't get as creepy as as I was as I was worried. It's a bit. It is a bit dicey. I don't. I don't think people would attempt that in a show now. Oh it's yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think as far as that kind of thing goes, they do it as as well as you could. Yeah. Yeah. In in the meantime, we have Spock and the two red shirts. Who are who are like going around the streets, taking scans, you know, trying to figure out if there was some sort of like nuclear disaster or what? We get this really like unsettling shot of this incredibly filthy window, and somebody just like clearing off a spot to look yeah. through it, and we just we just see their hand, and we see them watching as Spock approaches. Yeah, I love that. It's it is sort of. A bit like a Western or, I guess, a old-school horror movie. You've got this ghostly sort of empty city and all these shots that show that Spock's being watched. It's quite unsettling. Yeah, and so we, we find out, like, this. it turns out it's the it's the onlys that are watching them, but we, we don't see them yet. We just start to hear them, and they're doing this sort of, like, na-na-na-na-na thing, which oh, gets... Man. It's it's both creepy and super annoying. Oh man, but it, it's it's sort of with building intensity. Uh, yeah, it's, it's unsettling. I think that even holds yeah, up like, now as being, you know, it's <laughs> it's, it's not. Yeah, it, I don't think it's still capable of pushing the audience's buttons. Yeah, they're definitely going like Children of the Corn here. Yeah, and it's got maybe a slight reverb or some sort of effect on it like it's pretty they push it pretty well it's pretty intense yeah and then they start like they start like throwing rocks and 
garbage at them. And and so Spock gets them like back inside to report to Kirk as to what's going on. Yeah, that's terrifying. They're being pelted from above <laughs> from this mis- mysterious attackers. <laughs> it's quite terrifying. Yeah, and so Kirk asks asks Mary if there's like a you know like a doctor's office or a hospital or anything around, and she she says it's a bad place. So it's, we're getting really ominous here. It reminded me of Stranger Things with Seven, <laughs> bad man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she just gets yeah, it's a bad place. Like, oh man, so similar sort of things. We get a mysterious lab. Yeah, and so you know, Kirk sort of like sweets talks her into into taking them there. The girl talks a bit about why she doesn't like grups, and she says, "I remember the things you grups did. You're always burning, yelling, hurting people." Um, and you know, Kirk, yeah, you know, he sort of wins her over by you know, explaining we're not going to do anything like that. Um, and the girl goes on to say, "That was when we started to get sick in the before times." That's all. <laughs> trying to think what that reminded me of it's almost like maybe not mad max or something but yeah just some so it's almost like their history is almost sort of turned into a bit of a mythology or something yeah Um, that's sort of like post-apocalyptic or yeah or maybe like the people on planet of the apes or something like that yeah the before times so mccoy sort of suspects there's a plague there there may have been a plague. Um, and that's when we, yeah, we get up to this point where this is where Kirk is sort of exploiting Miri's crush on him to an extent. He just sort of uses it as a way to oh, come and show us where the, where the hospital is or where the, where the doctor yeah, is. Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely using her crush on him, but you know, he is, he is trying to help her. Yeah. Um, and when she's when she's talking about him, like he's like you know how he's different from the other grups, we see that uh, Kirk now has this blue spot on his hand, and that is apparently how the sickness starts. It's pretty gnarly. Man, bright blue rash, <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, props to the to the uh, the makeup department on this one because there's something really unsettling. Maybe it's because we blue is one of those things we don't see a lot of in nature. I mean, it'll occasionally be like a bright blue flower or like a bird or something, but it's certainly not something you ever see on a person. So then we we get to her. Uh, they take him to the hospital or whatever it is, and this is actually where this original distress call was coming from and it's it's automated and kirk captain logs that um that all of them now have these these blue spots except for spock and that's where mccoy has a bit of a go at spock's green blood or something they just don't like his green blood yeah something like that and we get the we get the now like very normal interplay of you aren't like humans oh i'm glad i'm not like a human yeah, I'd be pretty glad. <laughs> yeah, it's not really it's not really much of a um, a payout. It's like uh, you're you're not as good as me because you don't have this horrible rash that's going to turn me into a horrible monster. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we do find out later that he is a carrier, so he can't like go back to the Enterprise no matter what. But at least he's not you know going to 
go crazy and die. Yeah. Not a great planet to be stuck on. No. So we get we get Bones investigating the tissue samples. And um, so he is like using just like a microscope because that's, you know, the technology they have, like the, like the rest of the planet in this 1960s thing, which again, I'm really bothered we don't have an explanation for it because we find out that this, this happened like centuries ago. So how is this planet here? Why is it like Earth? Yeah, so it's a client of Earth. It's 1960s architecture and technology, but it's been in that state for centuries. Yeah, that's pretty, yeah, that needs answering, yeah, like people. When the episode starts, I thought that's what the episode was going to be about. Like, it was going to be yeah. about the fact that there's this strange planet that they don't have any record of that is like 1960s Earth. And then, no, there's not even like, a question of it. Like, after the first, after that opening, it, they never talk about it. It's never... Uh, explained it's never even mentioned again nobody questions it after that first scene so what's what's the writers what do they want to do they obviously want the audience to feel like this is something that could happen to them in 1960s america maybe maybe it was just that that way to make it more relevant yeah make it feel more immediate it's almost because they don't um, provide any conclusion or answers, it's sort of pointless. But, yeah, it really but I guess is. I, 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 <laughs> that's all you I can know, think of is it's yeah. like you could make it an Earth-like planet without having it a weird, unexplained replica. Yeah, I do wonder, because these episodes, we found this before, where they go through so many rewrites and what was originally tended originally scripted isn't what ends up on the screen. And yeah. I, I feel like this probably has to be the result of that. Yep. That this episode is not what the writer originally had planned. Yeah, and I guess that's it. Once you've done your visuals, you've got to use them, especially back then. Yeah. It's expensive to make a model plan. Yeah, they were they like they were working on pretty tight schedules. But anyway, we they find a lot of the the research that this was being done in this lab and apparently what they were working on was prolonging life. I love this lab too. So many cobwebs and all these dusty files. Yeah, it's really it's really detailed. There's a lot going on in the background of this set. So good job, props department. So cool. And and then we get them like having you know sort of they're they're really confused because it appears that everybody post puberty died, but this plague happened three hundred years ago. And there are there are all these children around, so they're questioning that for a little bit. And we we get them coming to the conclusion that this this idea of prolonging life actually did work. It just only worked on the children. So the children are all aging immensely slowly, and it isn't until they reach puberty that this plague sets in. And then they age rapidly and die. Spock says when he eventually gets through the files, what they're trying to accomplish is this people would age only one month for every 100 years. Yeah. Which would be pretty handy. But then the virus ended up 
yeah, annihilating all the adults in a very short period of time, apparently. Yeah, and they, they do some calculations and, and Spock determines that the, the humans only have a week before they'll succumb completely and die. Yikes. And I don't know, there, there's a concept here that's really, really is like incredibly creepy that these kids have been kids for, you know, 300 years. Yeah. With, with no with no adults and when there were adults the adults like went crazy and and hurt them and like tortured them and stuff and then since then they've just been on their own yeah which is terrifying so you when we get to to meet the kids we sort of see like they've established their own sort of hierarchy but there's really there's sort of no sort of law and order it's almost like peter pan i guess Reminded me of yeah, it is especially yeah. Lost Boys, especially because there is uh, like John, who is sort of the main leader. Yeah, and you got the kids running around. Like one kid's got a headband with a feather on his head, and they're all sort of just playing all the time. That seems to be yeah. They've got whatever dress up costumes. Isn't there a kid with a football helmet as well? Yeah, and yeah. So we we sort of have this. Lost Boys meeting, I guess. Yeah, where they're where they're talking about, you know, the the danger that these grups pose, and how that they're all going to start hurting the kids again. And so John, the leader, comes up with this plan of uh, stealing their communicators so that they can't talk to their ship, so that they'll be isolated. And yeah. Kirk has convinced Mary to take him to the kids. But as they get there, the kids all hide. Then we get Kirk being attacked by this now woman who is all aged like the guy we saw at the beginning of the episode. Really messed up face and everything. And she attacks him and he shoots her with his phaser and she dies even though... It was only on stun. And Mary recognizes her as Louise, who was just a, a little bit older than Mary is. Which is frightening. And we get, like, while Louise, while this Louise monster is attacking um, Kirk, she sort of leaps on his back. And <laughs> we get this struggle where he's just trying to throw this zombie monster off his back. I thought it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes the sometimes the the one on one combat in in this show is pretty pretty funny. Yeah. So after that, um, Kirks goes back to the lab and he orders Spock and Bones to to try to recreate the originals' research that maybe they can sort of work backwards and isolate the disease that way. And create a vaccine for it. Um, hilariously, Mary's just in the background sharpening pencils. And at one point, she's like, she asks Kirk, oh, is this enough? And he's like, no, no, we'll probably need more. <laughs> so he's just giving her this busy work of sharpening pencils. I don't I don't know why. It made me laugh a lot. Yeah. He says, yeah, he's just giving her jobs to make her feel useful and keep her occupied but, <laughs> like she, but she, she's, has, she seems happy she has this entire handful of pencils 
<laughs> That'd be sort of weird for, I imagine, people don't use pencils on the Enterprise. I mean, I wouldn't think so. Yeah. Then again, they're walking around with, like, clipboards all the time. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, they haven't got the cool tablets from Next Generation yet. Yeah. The iPads. Oh, so, yeah, the other important thing in this scene is uh, McCoy says that pretty soon they'll start to feel more of the mental and physical effects. And then, yeah, then we start hearing the na-na-na-na's again. <laughs> and so, you know, like, Terrifying. oh, my God, it's really creepy. And they run out to investigate it. And that's when John sneaks into the lab and, and steals their communicators. Uh, and the the real big takeaway here is it's not just, oh, we can't talk to the Enterprise, but that means they can't use the, the Enterprise computer to verify any of their research, which means even if they even if they find a vaccine or anything, they won't be able to calculate use the computer to calculate the correct dosage. Yeah, so they've, they've got a real ticking time bomb now. I think we're sort of at the point where they've got about three days left. So they're alone, no computer. They've got to figure this out under pressure and the disease is going to start affecting them and making them crazy. Yeah, which we, we, we start to see in the next scene. Um, you know, they're doing miscellaneous lab work and Kirk bumps into Rand and she drops this beaker and it breaks and she gets, you know, like super upset. And she runs out and we get this continuation. We've seen a lot of this like sort of flirtation and the back and forth between Kirk and Rand. Like one episode, she obviously likes him. And in the next episode, he obviously likes her. But she has this line about how she used to try to get him to look at her legs but she's like, I mean, I understand you are this disease and you're dying, but it seems really inappropriate We're talking to your captain. Yeah. <laughs> but then we, yeah, yeah. And didn't she say something like, please? Yeah, yeah, I used to try and get you to look at my legs on the ship or something. Captain, look at my legs. And then he looks down and she's got the horrible blue rash on her thigh and she sort of tries to cover the rash part up, but still... Just, oh my god <laughs> like like i like rand oh, and i'm glad like to have like another female character on the show but oh man this this, this is real like 1960s like <laughs> <laughs> right in it but yeah so he like you know he he embraces her to, to try to comfort her and then we cut to miri watching them like really really quite jealous so she runs off to join John and the ki other kids. And her plan is that they'll kidnap Rand because she knows that Rand is really like has been asking about the kids and really like worried about them, making, you know, like seeing if they have medical attention or anything like that. So the plan is to lure her away and capture her and then use that to lure Kirk so I guess it's just to sort of try to get the adults one by one. But I guess yeah, she's her sort of main thing. She's got this crush on Kirk, so she wants Rand. She's jealous of Rand and wants Rand out of the way. 
So again, it yeah. reminded me of Peter Pan again. It seemed like Tinkerbell trying to get the Lost Boys to shoot Wendy. Yeah, you're right. That's a real good. That's a real good comparison. There's a lot of that here. I think the more and more I think about it, the the group of kids seem to be, you know, they're less like Lord of the Flies and more like, I guess, and an, a really unruly version of Lost Boys. Their, their main aim seems to be number one, they just want to have fun and no rules. Number two, they're terrified of grups. Yeah. So it seems like yeah, that's not it's not really malice. It's just they don't know any better and they're acting out of fear, I guess. That's what I took from it anyway. Yeah. So Bones has managed to isolate what he thinks is responsible for this disease. But without the ship computers, it's sort of a crapshoot especially in terms of dosage. And he, 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 he describes it as it, like, it could be a beaker full of death, <laughs> which is pretty fucking good. Yeah, man. I want to, I want to create a cocktail called beaker full of death. Oh yeah. We'll have to come up with that. We should, um, we'll put that out there. Obviously not, not actually fatal, <laughs> but yeah, if you can come up with the ingredients for our, it could be our, he's dead Jim official cocktail. There you go. Served in an actual beaker. Oh, man. And we'll try it. I'll definitely try it. <laughs> I'm not going to put anything actually and, and then we get No yeah. plutonium, please. <laughs> no, but lots of, like, I feel like there should be something. There's got, it's got to be blue, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's got to match the, the rash. So maybe our first ingredient is blue curacao. Yeah. If I say that properly, I imagine they have that the world over. It's probably not my most favorite um, liqueur. Can you think of anything else blue? No. That's the only one I can think of. Bombay Sapphire, is that blue or is it just blue gin or does it just come in a blue bottle? I don't think it's actually blue. Well, I guess there's always blue food dye. Yeah, there we go. Maybe Beaker Full of Death is just um, just some potent whiskey with blue food dye. <laughs> I'm excited now. Yeah. Send us your ideas, people. So, so now we get a classic Kirk meltdown as he is demanding to know where Rand is. And he starts, he starts, you know, like yelling it at Miri and stuff. And he, he eventually explains to Miri, like what is actually going on, which is, Eventually, all of these kids are going to get old enough that the disease will get them and they'll die. Because she, you know, she has this thing of, you know, only it only happens sometimes. Only sometimes do the kids get it. And he's like, no, it happens every time. And that even aside, the planet's running out of food. So they're all going to starve to death in a couple of months. And the, the whole time they're, they're mocking him, like Miri, you know, tries to tell them to listen to him and tell them Jim, and then the kids just keep going, tell them Jim, tell them Jim, and they go, blah, 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 blah. It's just terrible, just taunting him with increasing intensity, oh, and then oh Kurt goes full Shatner. Do you get that where he just stands up and he goes, no, blah, blah, blah. It's great. And also, like, I, it's a combination, again, and this combination of, okay, this is creepy, but also it was just irritating the shit out of me. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, my God, I could never, I could never, could never teach young kids oh no terrifying i feel 
oh man, I feel for school teachers. <laughs> that is a job I could not do. So there is Kirk is so outnumbered by these these unruly kids. It is it's terrifying. Well, yeah, because yeah, they eventually like mob like they start beating the crap out of him. Do you like when he's? We get this a lot with Kirk, where he instant instantly appropriates whatever slang or language the people are using. Yeah. So he does a good job of trying to get to their level. He's like, no, blah, blah, blah. Well, if you won't help us, there won't be any games anymore. No grups, no onlys, nobody left forever and ever. <laughs> just, just, I find it, yeah, it's funny how he just sort of adopts their slang. Yeah, and he does, he does, after after he's, you know, has his big speech that he does when he's all, like, bloody and beaten up, they do, they do eventually start to believe him. But they beat, that's terrifying. They beat the shit out of him. They've got hammers and <laughs> every blunt object they can find. They keep going like bonk, 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 bonk. It, and he's, he's, he finally emerges from this pile on and it, like his face is cut up like he's bleeding all over the place. Yeah. Did you see the little girl the whole time like while they're piling on him just beating the shit out of him and then it cuts to a shot of a little girl and she's just looking at it smiling? Oh my god! I didn't notice that. That's, that's so, so creepy. creepy. Is that like just, just the best thing she's ever seen? Oh, oh that's great. So back at the lab, we have McCoy getting really desperate, and he just wants to take it. And and so like Spock's like, no, you can't do that. But then when Spock leaves, he just injects himself with this serum, and then we see him like collapse in pain onto the floor, shouting for Spock. That's when Spock then, says, oh, "Yeah." Never understand the medical mind. <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? I mean, like, what do you want? He's going to die anyway. Like, of course, he just didn't jack it himself with this. But, um, so yeah. Kirk comes back with the kids. He's like carrying one of them. That's pretty cute. And um, McCoy is still unconscious. But then, as they're watching the, the blue spots, all start to fade because miraculously he didn't, you know, succumb to the beaker of death and it was actually the <laughs> vaccine that they needed. Oh, man. Yeah, and then it's just, you know, it's another, like, all wrapped up on the bridge, like, they're taken off and we get um, Rand and Kirk talking about how there's, there's like, a medical team coming to take care of the kids. There, there's not talk of the immense psychological scars that these kids would have. I mean, that they've been kids for 300 years and where are they going to go? And if they take the vaccine, does that just stop the disease or would it also stop the slow aging thing? Are they now just going to age normally? Yeah, that's that's another thing that doesn't get answered. Etiquette, yeah. My, it was my assumption that the slow aging's obviously a side effect of the disease, so maybe they just go back to normal. Yeoman Rand's the only like she, she's concerned. She says, you know, they're just children, and you know, questions, you know, are they going to be okay? Just simply leaving them there with a medical team. Uh, but then Kirk says, I've already contacted Space Central. Did you hear, have you ever heard any talk of Space Central no. before? 
I've already contacted Space Central and they'll send teachers and advisors. And McCoy says, and truant officers, I suppose. Um, Space Central sounds cool Space anyway. Central. Space Central is great because Space Central sounds like a Star Trek ripoff. It does. It reminds me a bit, um, what's the cartoon? The Battle of the Planets, which is the American version of G-Force, which was a Japanese cartoon. But to, to make it sort of fit with, you know, Saturday morning cartoons in the States, they just added this robot. Every now and then they'd cut to a robot at Neptune Central and uh, who's sort of in the command center. So if there's anything that was too full on for Saturday morning cartoons, they'd just cut away and go to this fun <laughs> robot. <laughs> Space Central. Uh, do you see the bit at the end where the, the yeoman, turns, yeoman turns to Kirk and says, Miri, she really loved you, you know. And then Kirk says, yes, I never get involved with older women, yeoman. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, that, I rolled my eyes so hard at that I couldn't even take a note of it. <laughs> <laughs> Man, um, pretty good app, I think. Yeah, I thought it was, it was, like, it was enjoyable. Yeah, ter- there's like this terrifying and irritating things in it. Um, but I think overall it's a pretty good app. Yeah, I mean, despite the, the weird dropped storyline, that is, upon reflection, really annoying, I think this is a pretty solid episode. Yeah, which, to be honest, I sort of forgot about that too until I went back to my notes and went, hang on. <laughs> that needs answering. Maybe we can we can fan fiction it. I wonder if somebody's done that. That would be a good thing to go and write back. Yeah, write up how this. Yeah, I love very, very specific fan fiction like that. Okay, let's open up the mailbag. Uh, we've got an email from Rob McKinnon. Oh, the title of the email is "Beyond Nurse Chapel," and uh, Rob says, "Hello, Mick and Emily. I continue to very much enjoy your podcast. I look forward to it each week, and it has quickly become one of my favourite podcasts. Thanks so much, Rob. That's so nice." Uh, having just listened to episode eight in which you discussed what a little girl's made of, uh, an episode which features nurse Christine Chapel in a prominent role in this episode. And in previous episodes, you, uh, mentioned that the actress who played nurse Chapel, Majel Barrett, uh, was Jean Roddenberry's second wife. While this is true, I feel it necessary to point out that she was so much more to the entire Star Trek universe. Uh, Please forgive me, but here's where I push my imaginary glasses up the bridge of my nose and break out my best nerd voice. Uh, Not at all. Thank you, Rob. Um, Actually, Majel Barrett's not only played nurse Christine Chapel, but she was also number one in the original pilot, The Cage. Uh, I believe you mentioned this during your discussion of that episode. Um, Yeah, that was... I, I knew very little about um, Nurse Chapel until, um, Emily, you filled in the blanks for me then, which is great. Um, She's the only actor to have a role in all six of the televised versions of Star Trek before Discovery. Um, So, yeah, I I read up a little bit um, on Majel Barrett and she, yeah, she's basically in every Star Trek series while she was alive. Back to Rob's letter, um, you could say that she was the voice of Star Trek as she played the voice of the Federation computer in all versions of the show and feature films 
up to and including the 2009 J.J. Abrams reboot, as well as the voice of the narrator for all the previously on two-part episode recaps. There you go. Did we not mention that she did the voice of the computer? I thought we talked about that, you but did. it's possible you, we didn't. Oh, okay. Yeah, definitely mentioned that she's the voice of the computer in Next Generation. Uh, but yeah, I, I didn't. Or I didn't realize that she was. So was she the computer on on the original series as well? Do we ever? Does the computer ever have a voice in the original series? Yeah, it does. Uh, they don't sort of talk to it like talking to the ship, but they will. Whenever there's a court case, Spock will talk to the computer to bring up you know criminal records or whatever. Yeah, and that was much more of like a computer computery voice. Yeah, it's very very robotic. But maybe. Maybe she's in. Maybe it's in the movies. Well, def- definitely in the original series, it does. It's a female voice for whenever they're talking to a computer, and it does come up a few times. Definitely, in, in it, even in this first uh, series. So I wonder if that's her as well. But it's yeah, it's very different to the. It's a much better voice we get from Next Gen and the movies onwards. And beyond that, she appeared on screen as Betazoid Ambassador Luxana Troy, mother of Counselor Deanna Troy, on several episodes of The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. Now, you you told me that too. I'd forgotten that. Am I am I saying her name properly, Luxana? Luxana, yeah. I always like she's Lux, great, yeah. and especially on she is the best character. She is especially great on Deep Space Nine because she has a thing for Odo, and I've freaking love it there is also she's in one of my favorite star trek books which is um a peter david book he wrote a lot of star trek books but this was next generation one it's called q in law and it is a romance between q and loxana troy and it's amazing oh wow gosh there's a yeah definitely a lot of my favorite next gen episodes uh, are her episodes <laughs> very good? Such a different character to Nurse Chapel and Number One. Oh, she's great! It's amazing. Um, okay, she also appeared in two of the feature films as Nurse Chapel or Doctor Chapel. Oh, so she got a promotion. That's good. Yeah, and also something worth—I'll just add something worth noting—is she's also the mother of Rod Roddenberry, who um, now runs the runs the Roddenberry business. And uh, he's sort of heading up um, Discovery. Um, Rob goes on, thanks for indulging me. Um, Keep up your great work. Looking forward to the Miri episode and the return of the world's best beehive as adorned by Yeoman Janice Rand. Cheers, Rob McKinnon. Thank you very much, Rob. That's wonderful. Thanks, Rob. Um, And uh, thank you for indulging us. That's that's fantastic. Uh, I, I must also say, Rob... Uh, he was the guy that hit us up on Facebook to make sure that we saw um, the toys that made us season oh, two. Okay. So thanks for that too, pal. What a champion. So kind. Um, yeah. So Majel Barrett is awesome uh, and good interviews with her in Trekkies as well. So yeah, big fan. Yeah, I like her a lot. I'm pretty slack for, I always sort of refer to people as somebody's husband or such and such but that's i think that's just sort of collector mentality i like to fit the family tree together or the the puzzle together but yeah um she's so much more than 
just Gene Gene Roddenberry's wife. Rob, actually, while I think of it, Rob also on our Facebook page he put up uh, an old film he'd found of him opening a Kirk toy on Christmas. So I'll um, I'll hit share on that and make sure that goes up to the page. But that was super cool. That was one of the Mego toys I think that we talked about from uh, the toys that made us. Well, I think that's about it for this week's episode. I must recommend to people to check out Emily's reaction to Solo on um, Star Wars podcast Cannabite Dispatch. Um, yeah, that'll be episode of 43 of the Cannabite Dispatch. Emily and Brittany have very different and very interesting points of view on the film, so I recommend checking that out if you're into Star Wars. Thank you. And how do we follow you on Cannabite Dispatch? Uh, you can obviously like we're on SoundCloud and iTunes and all the various podcatchers, and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at CantoBitePod. Sweet. Anything else you'd like to plug this week? Um, I should plug the uh, X Men Legion podcast I do, which is Pod of Future Cast, and I am about to restart the Twin Peaks podcast I do. Yes. How's Annie? And we are going to be going through everything. Um, so, like, we had, we had started the podcast when season three was coming on, but now we're going to go back to the beginning. We're not only going to do the first two seasons and the movie, but we're also going to be doing the various, like, tie-in books. So we're just, like, doing, like, the entire catalogue of Twin Peaks. Awesome. I can't wait. Big fan. Big fan of How's Any, so I'm going to be watching along with you. Very cool. Send us an email if you'd like. He's dead, jimpod at gmail.com. We love hearing from you guys. And also follow us on the socials at He's Dead Jim Pod on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Um, and also our, sorry, our call to arms this week uh, if you guys if you like the show please help us out by jumping on iTunes and giving us a five star review so other awesome people can find out about the show um, so if you've got a minute to do that that would be most appreciated until then do we have a sign off yet? no we continue to not have a sign off something about Space Central bye bye